They say everyone has this great story burning inside them. How effective any one person is at telling that story is more debatable. I'm Rome, and welcome to A Couple of Notes. Each episode, my co-host and wife Caitlin and I will read a book that we felt had an interesting premise and discuss how successful or unsuccessful the author was in their execution. As we do discuss every book in its entirety, watch out for spoilers. This week, we will be reading Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell, a story of a fanfiction author struggling to juggle her mental health, family tensions, and first love during her freshman year of college. Now, take out your red pens, because we have a couple of notes. Fangirl was published in 2013 and is Rainbow Rowell's second novel. After the success of Fangirl, Rowell later created a real trilogy of books based on the fictional Simon Snow series from Fangirl. Several elements of the story are autobiographical, including the main character sharing her hometown of Omaha, Nebraska, and her former career at an ad agency is now attributed to Kath's father. Fangirl begins with Kath Avery and her sister Wren moving into their respective dorms at the University of Nebraska. Kath is nervous and upset because Wren has decided she doesn't want to be roommates, and Kath hates meeting new people. She meets her roommate, Reagan, a closed-off upperclassman who also did not want a roommate, and Levi, an overly friendly farm boy who Kath assumes is Reagan's boyfriend because he's always around. Kath says a tearful goodbye to her father and tries to avoid people as much as possible for the next 24 hours. Over the next several weeks, Kath struggles to adjust to college. Reagan is rarely in their room, Ren is busy making new friends and diving into the campus party lifestyle, and Kath's high school boyfriend Abel breaks up with her for a girl who had a higher ACT score. He makes sure she knows that. <laughs> Levi is a constant presence, attempting to be friendly with Kath, which she finds annoying and a bit threatening. Kath's only solace is her writing, both academic and recreational. She's been given special permission to take an upper-class fiction writing course, taught by a real published author, Professor Piper. She meets a boy in fiction writing named Nick, and they collaborate on a story together, which their teacher loves. The pair begin writing together frequently, and Kath starts to catch feelings. Through all of this, Kath is focused heavily on finishing her fan fiction, Carry On Simon, before the final book in her favorite fantasy series, Simon Snow, is released in May. She has been working on this fanfiction for two years. She has thousands of online followers, and people even make merchandise on Etsy based on her fanfiction. A quick note, the Simon Snow fantasy series is basically Harry Potter, and her fanfiction is essentially Draco Malfoy and Harry Potter falling in love, and I'm really here for it. <laughs> Things go off the rails for Kath when she turns in a piece of fanfiction for her fiction writing class, prompting her professor to call the piece an act of plagiarism and give her a zero. Kath is so distraught by this that she refuses to write anything else for fiction writing from here on. It's all downhill for Kath from here, folks. Next, Kath finds out her estranged mother is hoping to connect with Ren and her. Kath is completely against the idea, 
but Ren is open to giving their mother a chance, pushing a deeper wedge between the two sisters. Meanwhile, Nick decides he's going to turn the collaborative work he and Kath have been working on all semester as his fiction writing final. This bothers Kath because, excuse me, she wrote half of that assignment. Nick insists the story was always his, and she helped him in more of an editorial sense. Meanwhile, Kath has started to become friendly with Reagan and Levi, and she starts to develop a crush on Levi. The pair kiss one night while studying, which leads to Kath learning that Levi is actually Reagan's ex-boyfriend. She doesn't know how to talk to Levi about the kiss, so Reagan offers to help, taking Kath to a party at Levi's house. But before Kath can speak to Levi, she sees him kissing another girl. As if things couldn't get worse, it's finals week when Kath gets a phone call that her father has been hospitalized. He has struggled with bipolar depression most of Kath's life, and a recent episode at work has led to him being placed on a 72-hour watch. Kath wants to go to him immediately, but Ren insists that they should finish their finals first. Kath ignores Ren and goes home early, missing several final exams. This includes not turning in her final assignment for fiction writing. Kath is determined not to go back to school after the break. She figures she and her father will be much happier with her at home. Her father thinks this is a terrible idea and makes her go back to school for the spring semester. He does, however, promise to get help, go see his counselor, even have their grandmother move in for a little while. Which brings his plotline of his struggling mental illness to an abrupt halt. Kath talks to Levi, forgives him for the kiss, and the two start dating. Professor Piper is concerned that Kath didn't turn in her fiction writing assignment, and gives Kath until the end of the semester to turn it in. But Kath still doesn't want to do the assignment. She doesn't want to write anything that isn't fanfiction anymore, because Professor Piper told her fanfiction is plagiarism, and it's not real writing. In fact, all she wants to do is finish her fanfiction. Professor Piper doesn't understand, and Kath agrees to do the assignment, but she doesn't actually intend to finish it. Ren is still partying it up every night, and one evening, Kath gets a call that Ren is in the ER with alcohol poisoning. To make matters worse, the call comes from her mother. At the hospital, Kath sees her mother for the first time in 10 years, and it goes poorly. As soon as Kath is there, and it's clear that Ren isn't dying, their mother leaves, despite warnings from Kath that if she does, she is walking away from her last chance at a relationship with Kath. This trip to the hospital is a wake-up call for Ren, and she and Kath make up, though Ren does continue to have a relationship with their mother. Ren starts helping Kath to finish Carry On Simon before her May deadline. Nick shows up one more time to tell Kath that his story that they wrote together has been selected for a literary magazine. But Professor Piper oversees all the submissions, and she knows Kath helped with it. She won't let him publish unless he puts Kath's name on it too. Kath politely tells him where he can stick his story. Vengeance is sweet. Levi bullies Kath until she writes her fiction essay, telling her that trying to finish Carry On Simon before the final book comes out in May is a stupid and self-imposed deadline, while her grade in fiction and writing actually matters. And she listens to him. She doesn't finish Carry On Simon, she writes her fiction paper about the day her mother left, and she cries as she buys the new Simon Snow novel at a midnight release. The end. Now that we've covered the bones of the story, let's go over our notes, starting with what works. Regarding what works in this story, I feel like you think a lot more worked in this story than I do. What? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like you, um, you're a lot nicer to this story than I am. 
The most I can say for this story is that the first half of this story is good. Like all of my all of my positive notes for this story come in the first half. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll just bounce ideas off of you then. <laughs> yeah, you bounce your ideas off of me and I'll I'll counter them. Because that's probably what's gonna end up happening here. Well golly gee. Alright, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Alright. So, first of all, I believe that this book portrays mental illness in a very realistic light that acknowledges the everyday struggles of living with it without exploiting its pains. I think you can make a pretty good case that a lot of the characters in the book, whether they're aware of it or not, have traits of a mental illness, including Catherine, Mr. Avery, and Levi. I do agree that a lot of the characters show traits of mental illnesses. Kath has very clear social anxiety, bordering on agoraphobia at times. Mr. Avery obviously has diagnosed bipolar disorder. Wren shows a lot of symptoms of depression, alcoholism, maybe even a borderline personality disorder. And Levi, this isn't necessarily a mental illness, it's more like a um, learning disability, but he very clearly has some kind of attention deficit or something. One thing is, like, he can't read. Like, he can read, but he can't focus on words long enough to read a whole book Mm -hmm. or anything. So, like, he doesn't even study with notes or anything like that. That's part of how he and Kath get close together is that he's supposed to have read a book for children's literature. And he hasn't read it because he physically cannot finish the book. Mm -hmm. And it's very clear that he tries. He tries so hard, he just can't focus for a full paragraph and so like Kath ends up reading the book to him because that's the only way that he can take everything in he has a great memory that's one thing that they always go back to is he has a great memory when he listens to something or when he watches a movie or something like that he can memorize so much Mm -hmm. but he just he does not have the focus to be able to sit down and physically read something Mm -hmm. um so he's got that going on However, I will say that the book is kind of weird whenever it comes to how it treats mental illness when it comes to the actual treatment of mental illness. Like, how you get better when you have a mental illness. Because, like, Kath's social anxiety, for example, she just kind of starts to get better, sort of. But it's mostly through people bullying her yes that's definitely true and you know bullying a socially anxious slightly agoraphobic person to just get out there more that doesn't work i also thought that kath did show some traits of undiagnosed autism that i recognized in myself and i think what you could take from this is that mental illness exists and affects a lot more people than one might realize i could i could get behind that Kath talks about how her and her father's mental illness is so recognizable and it can't be ignored, which makes her feel, quote, crazy. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, when Rin and Levi also struggle, they get passed off as normal because they're more extroverted and they can sort of hide what's going on inside of them. And I thought that really spoke a lot of truth to reality. I can definitely get behind that because, like, Rin especially, she clearly has problems that are apparent from the beginning. Issues like she relies heavily on boys to give her value. We know that she's had a string of boyfriends that she just constantly lets treat her poorly and she does things she doesn't want to to make them like her. 
we know that she has a problem with alcohol abuse, all things like that, but people kind of overlook them because they're like, well, she's, she's a teenage girl. This is just how they're supposed to be. And it's not until she ends up in the hospital with alcohol poisoning that anyone's like, wait, maybe this is actually a problem. Mm-hmm. And even then, Ren doesn't initially think she has a problem. It's everyone around her telling her, excuse me, you have a problem. If you got so drunk that you were literally driven to the ER and dumped on the side of the road, one, you have a drinking problem, and two, you have a bad friend's problem <laughs> that they dumped you at the ER and drove away. Mm-hmm. So I can I can get behind that. It does speak to the idea that mental illness takes many, many forms. Mm-hmm. And you can't always point to one specific person and be like, that person right there, you know, has problems, but nobody else does. Mm-hmm. I also really enjoyed the setting. I have not read any other books in my memory that take place in Nebraska. <laughs> you know, I don't think I have either. It's not considered a very exciting location to set your novels. It's true. But it's painted with such beautiful brushstrokes that you kind of know that the author has lived there before. Yeah. Because we can imagine it very vividly. <laughs> yes. One thing that is a little weird is the way that she portrays the racial... What would we d- Demographics mm-hmm. of Nebraska. They pay a lot of attention to the Mexican population of Nebraska, despite none of the main characters in this book being Mexican, because it's like a big thing in the beginning that Kath and her sister, despite being white girls, are from a neighborhood in Omaha that's almost exclusively Mexican. And when they go to the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, most of the student body is white. And this makes Kath very uncomfortable initially because she's not used to being around so many white people, even though she herself is also white. When Ren begins dating a man named Alejandro, who is Mexican, um, and apparently he's like, his family's this very wealthy farming family from northern Nebraska, like, near the border of Wyoming. She makes a comment about how, like, she didn't know they had Mexicans in northern Nebraska and things like that, and it's just, it's very weird. It's a weird thing of, like, they make a huge point to point out that Ren and Kath have been around lots of Mexicans, they like to listen to rap music because that was the music that was played in their neighborhood, things like that, but then no actual Mexican character is given more than a brief passing role, and that's only in the form of Alejandro, whose sole purpose is to date Ren. And I don't think he ever actually speaks. And Avery, who left her for oh, Abel. Abel, yes. Abel, Abel, Kat's first boyfriend, he is also Mexican. Um, and he also, he gets one scene where he speaks, and he, all he does is break up with Kat because... He's leaving her for a girl who scored higher on the <laughs> ACT than she did. So that, that was just kind of a weird thing to me. I appreciate that it made nods to diversity even in unexpected places. I guess I kind of wish they went somewhere with it. Exactly. I went. I wish they went somewhere with it. Like, if you're going to do Nebraska, like, it's really easy to do Nebraska and be like, well, Nebraska's a really boring white place. So... They made a point to point out that Nebraska's not all white, that it does have a very large Hispanic and particularly Mexican population, 
But then they also didn't use any characters that were Mexican as if they just were like, yeah, they exist, but we don't talk to them. Well, we talk to them. We date them, sure. Oh, sure, we date them. We date them. They make great silent background lovers. <laughs> it was it was a bit uncomfortable for me. I can understand that. <laughs> I've never read a book about a fanfiction author before, despite how popular fanfiction has been in the last 20 years. And fan culture, even nowadays, has really exploded into the public eye. And yet, this is still not something I really see discussed in books. And fanfiction's always been a big part of my life, so that was really nice to see reflected in the story. I will give you that one. The only other place I've ever seen fanfiction discussed was, like, one episode of Degrassi. <laughs> and so I will I will give you that. Fanfiction was also a huge part of my life in high school and college, and this is the only book I've ever seen even, like, hint that it exists. <laughs> so that was cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I also felt that the characters were fleshed out and developed. Everyone feels different from each other, and everyone feels like their own person with their own issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Especially with Ren and Kath, because they're twins, it would have been so easy mm-hmm. to make them too alike. Mm-hmm. Um, or to even make them too different. But Rainbow Rowell, she does a very good job of balancing, where, like, you can clearly tell these girls come from the same place, the same background but they are entirely their own people. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for any other character, like Levi and Nick, who are both love interests of Kath's. They are distinctly different in every way. Mm -hmm. A, from their mannerisms to even the way that she describes them. Levi is tall and gangly and he has blonde hair and a big smile and, you know, a big widow's peak and all this other stuff while Nick is like, he's kind of shorter and he's got dark hair and he's got this heavy eyebrows and it's like, Mm -hmm. you just kind of imagine this sort of like really stocky, angry looking gremlin walking around. The only time, like, I felt that the characterization was a little overdone was when Kath described every single English major as wearing Ray-Bans. But that was also a funny joke. <laughs> yeah, she she talks a lot about how all the English majors look alike. <laughs> they the, they all wear Ray-Bans. They're all hipsters. <laughs> They're all hipsters. The girls all have colorful short hair. <laughs> the boys all wear, like, little uh, different hats and scarves and stuff. They love to accessorize. <laughs> You know, and Nick is no exception. He's always wearing this, like, bright paisley scarf and these wingtip shoes that are, like, periwinkle and, you know, all extra. And I can't even say that it's not true. <laughs> because when we, were, when we were in fiction writing classes and also in my philosophy classes, there's always that one kid mm-hmm. that he's, like, over there and he's got the... He's got the wide-brimmed hat and the vest and the scarf. And you just know that this is the kid that, like, sits out on the quad under the tree on a sunny day, writing poetry and thinking about philosophy. And you're like, I know this person. (laughs) Before you even speak to him, you know this person. (laughs) And Nick is that guy. Oh, yeah, yes. (laughs) Even if you don't like the characters, you acknowledge that they sound like real people. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I'd also like to point out, we listened to this in an audiobook, and the audiobook that we listened to was lovely. Yes. It's narrated by Rebecca Lohman and Maxwell Caulfield. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they have an American-sounding voice actress do cat segments, but at the end of every chapter we get a snippet from either Simon Snow or Cat's fanfiction of Simon Snow, and that's read by an Englishman. Mm-hmm. 
which, you know, kind of harkens back to Harry Potter, puts the idea in your head, and it's really fun. Yeah, he has that very, you know, that very British accent that, like, Americans associate to that very, I'm Simon Snow, <laughs> kind of <laughs> accent that, like, it's, it's how he really talks, probably, but it almost sounds fake when he's reading Simon Snow, and especially when he's reading the fan fiction that is written by an American girl. Mm -hmm. So it purposely has all these, like, bloodies and tosses and <laughs> whatever else, like, thrown in there that are clearly purposely overdone because she's trying to sound super British. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's actually a ton of fun. I think my favorite part of this book is actually when we get to read the snippets of Simon Snow. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one positive that I did put down. While Simon Snow is very clearly inspired by Harry Potter, and specifically by Draco Malfoy and Harry Potter fanfiction, it does distinguish itself. There are things that are specific to Simon Snow that you wouldn't find in Harry Potter. Like, one thing that pops up multiple times is werewolf mermaids. <laughs> Merwolves is what they're called. Merwolves. They are wolves that swim and breathe underwater, but they're also wolves. And you know what? That's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> and they just have them in the moat around the school, which the children are allowed to row around in. So, um, yes, Watford, the school in which he attends, just as scary as Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing is they take real classes at Watford. They take real classes like math and political science and mm -hmm. stuff like that, and they use computers. They're allowed to have technology. Mm -hmm. And that's a big difference from Harry Potter, so that was cool. Yeah, you know, it was a real joy to read, especially seeing the writing style change when she's writing for Kath, when it comes time for the Simon Snow novels, and when it comes to Kath's fanfiction, they all feel distinctly different. Mm -hmm. You can also tell the difference between when they show some of Kath's earlier work mm -hmm. versus Carry on Simon, and you can see the development of Kath's writing and how she's improved over the years. And that's also very cool to see. Mm -hmm. And you can see why fans of the Simon Snow novels in this fictional universe gravitate towards her fanfiction. Because if I was in that universe and I was a fan of the Simon Snow novels, I'd be reading this fanfiction. I'd be all over this fanfiction. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally makes sense. <laughs> and the last note I had was I really felt like the emotional high points of the story land very well. When Kath is forced into confrontation with her father, her mother, and her sister, all the moments land, I felt everything that she was feeling inside, and I felt like those points, like when Inrin was in the hospital, were the highlights of the book, and I wish they'd been fleshed out more, and I wish there were more of them. <laughs> I don't feel like they all come to a good resolution, mm -mm. but they do all hit emotionally. For me, the one that hit the most, like, deep in my soul is actually when she's worrying about her father and she doesn't want to go back to school and she's begging her father not to make her go back. And he's telling her, like, you have to. Because I also, I dropped out of college after my first semester. I did go back. I switched to another university. I took a semester off and then I went to another university. But I quit after one semester because I just, I could not stand it. And I remember on like Thanksgiving break or maybe it was fall break or something going home to my family and it was the night before I had to go home and I was crying bawling to my mother 
that I didn't want to go back there. And I didn't even have to worry about things like the idea that, you know, one of my parents was suddenly going to end up in the hospital because they couldn't take care of themselves or any of the drama that Kath was living with. I was just lonely and sad. And I was crying and saying, I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to go back. And, you know, my mom assured me, she's like, look, you have to go back to finish the semester, but that's it. After that, you don't ever have to go back there again. And I remember being so mad at Kat's father when he was like, what are you talking about? You have to go back. And he just, he did not seem to care at all that one, part of the reason she wanted to stay was because he'd been in the hospital. She didn't know what had happened exactly. She just knew that something had happened to get him placed on a 72-hour watch in the hospital. Something that had happened to him multiple times in her childhood. So she's experiencing a trauma response here. And her thought is, I have to be here to take care of him because he won't take care of himself. And he's not showing her any indication that he's going to take care of himself. Like he's jogging and stuff, but she's seen this pattern a million times before. And she's like, how long is it going to be before he goes off his meds? You know, once I leave, will it be one day, two days? You know, is he ever going to go see his counselor? How do I know that this isn't going to happen again? And he does nothing to validate her feelings he's just like you have to go back until the very end and like the last possible moment when he does tell her that he has already taken steps to better his mental health and has already called his mother to come move back in for a short amount of time and i'm like you couldn't have told her that earlier you know she worries about you like before you made her get in the car or anything so that that was a very emotional moment that hit me like real close to home So that's why you should pick up this book. Now get out your red pens and let's edit. My first huge gripe with this book is that this book is not what it is advertised to be. If you pick up this book off of a shelf at a library or a bookstore, or you read the summary on like a little Kindle page or whatever, it's going to tell you that this is a book about a girl who's starting freshman year, who is having conflict with her professor because her professor doesn't like fan fiction. That's what it's going to tell you is the main plot. And it's gonna kinda gloss over anything else. So when I picked up this book, that's what I was excited to read. I was like, this is gonna be great to read a story basically about a a fan fiction author pushing to be allowed to write fan fiction and to defend her art because I'm a huge defender of fan fiction. That's not what this book is about. That is a part of this book. Her and Professor Piper do disagree about fan fiction and its legitimacy, but that takes up four scenes in a 38 chapter book. We did the math and it's less than 10% of the book. Mm-hmm. And only two out of those four scenes involve fan fiction because after Professor Piper tries to convince Kath that fan fiction is immoral the second time, I'm Professor Piper says, I will not talk to you about fan fiction anymore ever again. Yeah, she just, she shuts that down. She's like, we are not talking about this ever, ever, ever again. And she doesn't, she doesn't give Kath any other kind of good writing advice either. No, I honestly, <laughs> Professor Piper is built up as this like a legendary author in these kids minds but she's only published three books which isn't that prolific it's definitely an achievement of course yeah i mean we don't want to be like oh she's only published three books because like we haven't even published one yet like we're still working on that but the way she's hyped up it feels kind of (laughs) small 
Yeah, it's like, oh, she's written three whole books. It's like, okay, honey, like, you've written three books. Yes, we're very, very proud of you. But also, she she seems to really want to push Kath to write the kind of books she writes. Because she writes books that are basically autobiographical. She, she takes stories from her real life, she says, and she changes them slightly to make them happen to other characters. But all within the realm of, like, she says every story she has takes place within a few hours of her hometown, and it's all things that happen to her in real life, but just tweaked slightly. And it seems like that's the kind of fiction she wants Kath to write. And Kath is not interested in writing that kind of fiction. Even when she's not writing fan fiction, she wants to write fantasy. She wants to write high fantasy. You know, dragons and magic wands and love stories and all kinds of stuff like that. And Professor Piper's like, well, sure, you can do that, but you need to start here. Mm-hmm. And she never seems to tell Kath how to do that. That's the biggest part is we have we have a few scenes where Professor Piper is teaching, but she never teaches anything of value. Exactly. You know, we you, both of us sitting here, we have degrees in creative writing. And I can truly and safely say, not a damn thing Professor Piper says in a single one of her classes is going to help any of her students become a better writer. Mm-hmm. Her criticism of Nick's work is that it is slick and impenetrable, but in a bad way. What does that mean? She never tells her how to set a scene, how to break down plot structure, how to avoid common writing tropes, how to sound more professional, how to format her her novel. The only advice she ever gives to Kath is that writing is hard. But if you can do it, you become a god. And it's like, okay... All you're really doing there is, like, feeding into this narcissistic complex that if you can put some words down on paper, you're a genius or whatever. Like, anybody can write a story. Anybody can learn how to write a story. And, you know, is everybody great the first time? Absolutely not. But anybody can learn how to write. She doesn't try to teach Kath how to write. She just tries to convince Kath over and over, you're really, really, really good. I shouldn't have to teach you. You should just do this. And that's not what a teacher does. A teacher says, you're really, really good, and here's all the ways that you can improve. Shout out to Julie, by the way, our writing professor, if you're listening to this. Love you, Julie. Mm -hmm. And it's so disappointing because... Professor Piper's segments take up only a small percentage of the book. Very small. But the idea of Kath having a mentorship relationship with her professor is a good one. And if it was explored more, and if time was actually dedicated to this, and if Professor Piper actually told Kath anything of value, that could add so much to the story and to Kath's writing journey. Yeah, and Kath even remarks at one point that the reason she cares so much about 
pleasing Professor Piper, despite the fact that she doesn't give a single hoot about writing this essay. The reason she agrees to do it anyway, the reason she lies to Professor Piper and tells her that she is writing this essay when she's not, is because Professor Piper feels like a motherly figure to her, and she wants to appease this older woman. If they just ran with that, like, if we really delved into the idea that Kath is using Professor Piper as a surrogate mother, and that's why Professor Piper's rejection of her fanfiction hurts so much, is because it's such an integral part of Kath, and it is something that she, she dove into it after her mother left. Her mother left when she was eight years old on 9-11, the 9-11, by the way. Kath and Ren's mother left them on the 9-11. <laughs> like, they get home and they're like, like, Mom, Dad, there was a terrorist attack. And their mom's like, I know, also I'm leaving, goodbye. <laughs> Very sad. But we learn that that's when Kath really dove into fanfiction and Simon Snow and all of this fantasy realm because it was safer to her. So to then have Professor Piper, who she views as a bit of a motherly figure, just smash that into the ground hurts a lot. It's a secondary rejection. And if we could have explored that more, that could have been a great aspect of Kath's character development. But we don't at all. I'm exploring it more now, sitting here in this chair talking to you all, than they ever do in the book. Mm -hmm. Next note, I don't know if this book has a message, and I just don't like the message, or if it's truly that I don't know what the message is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Because during the first half of the book, it really seems like what we're going for here is a message that says it is okay to be different. Mm -hmm. You know, Kath is pushing constantly against everyone in her life, saying it's okay that she writes fan fiction. That's not weird. It's okay that she doesn't want to go out and party and get drunk like all the other college freshmen. It's okay that she still loves Simon Snow even though she is a young woman and it's a children's book. It's okay that she is 18 years old and she's never had like a real romantic relationship. Like she's dated Abel for the last three years, but they never really had like a physical relationship of any kind. You know, she pushes very hard that all of those things are normal and okay. And then in the second act, she basically comes around to the conclusion that none of those things are okay. And they're all childish things that need to be left behind. And the way that she leaves them all behind is by people who are louder and more extroverted and more dominant personalities than her bullying her into it. <laughs> she becomes more extroverted and meets more people and does more things that she's not comfortable with literally because Reagan and Levi and Ren make her. <laughs> and that is supposed to be character development. And in the end, she doesn't even finish the one goal that she has had from chapter one, which is to finish Carry On Simon. That is her number one goal. And in the end, she does not finish it. And I don't know what kind of message that's supposed to send. Is it supposed to send the message that her fanfiction really was stupid and she should just leave it behind? I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. 
at all. And that bothers me deeply. I definitely agree with you on that note. And I think we have to come around to, I think, both of our biggest criticism of this book, which is the plot is a mess. (laughs) If you could even call it a plot. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know that you could really call it a plot. I mean, if you were sitting there while I was doing the summary thinking, wow, this is kind of all over the place... I tried. <laughs> mm-hmm. It kind of boggles the mind because the first half is really great. <laughs> yeah, it sets up a lot of conflict, a lot of story, a lot of interesting characters, and then halfway through, it just. Everything gets thrown to the side so Kath can mess around with her new boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you how terribly paced the second half of this book is. <laughs> Because in the beginning, we would get a scene with Kath alone, then with her roommate, then with Reagan, then with her father, then Kath is in class, and it kind of starts over again, so we see all these different aspects of Kath's life. We see how there's conflict with pretty much everyone in her life, but it's okay because it can probably all progress over time and come together at the end. But that's not what happens. What happens is after Kath goes back to school, she makes up with Levi, and we will not get a break from Levi for the rest of the book. If he is not in a scene, he will be brought up during that scene. Mm -hmm. And he just, he's in every single chapter, even chapters that aren't about him, they either start or end with him. Like the chapter where Ren is in the hospital, Levi is present through all of that because it starts with her saying goodbye to Levi because he's gonna go home. He's gonna go home for one of his sister's birthday. And so, you know, it starts with him and Kath saying goodbye to each other. And then Kath gets the phone call to go to the hospital. We have the whole scene in the hospital where she goes to the hospital and she, you know, sees her mom and she sees Reagan and everything. And the whole time she is texting Levi. Then her phone dies, so she can't text Levi anymore. So then she's all alone. And then at the end of the chapter, surprise, Levi's here. He got her text and he turned around and he drove back because he wasn't going to leave her alone. So even in a chapter that has nothing to do with Levi, it still starts and ends with Levi. Mm-hmm. Like We get to see every single aspect of their relationship develop, even if it doesn't serve any purpose. There's like four chapters just dedicated to them kissing. They kiss before they date, and then after that, she doesn't kiss him again. And that was kind of a thing with her and Abel, too, was that they'd been dating for three years, but they'd only ever kissed, like, twice. And she's all worried because she's like, oh, Levi's, like, he's older than me, and he's, you know, he's kissed people before, and he's had sex before, and so I'm all nervous. And they date for, like, several weeks without her kissing him, and we have to listen to every single thought and every single interaction where she considers kissing him but then doesn't because she's nervous that if she kisses him he'll want to do more (laughs) and maybe she'll want to do more and literally the whole second half of the book is is just just that that. (laughs) it's just that oh my god It is so difficult to get through. The pacing takes a nosedive. (laughs) It becomes a huge slog. None of it contributes to any of the other plot points that we started in the first act. And all of those are either disregarded or wrapped up so we can get back to Levi. 
And frankly, I don't even like Levi. No, I do not like Levi at all. They have cute moments, and if there was a lot less of him, I'd probably hate him less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he becomes pretty much the only thing in Cass' life that she seems to care about other than finishing her fanfiction. He just, he takes up way too much this second half, and every other plot point is... They all get wrapped up, but so slowly. Like, or not even slowly, so quickly. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's slow because everything's paced out by so much Levi, and then the actual wrapping up of things is so fast, like her and Ren making up. That is two chapters, one in the hospital, one at home, and it is interspersed by Levi-ness. And it doesn't really even feel like they make up. Like, Kath and her sister Rin's relationship is a huge part of the story. They are twins, they did everything together, then they went off to college and Rin wanted Space to become her own person, which was traumatic for Kath because it reminded her of the day her mother left. Mm -hmm. And then Rin becomes an alcoholic and gets really mad at Kath for worrying about her. And then when she's in the hospital, she still doesn't realize that she has a problem. Until her dad finally puts his foot down and starts laying out terms and conditions for her going back to school. Yeah, he actually threatens to pull her out of school because he's like, you're not even doing school. You're just using school as a chance to get drunk. Mm-hmm. By the way, seriously confused why he was like, no, Kath, you can't transfer out of school because you're depressed at the end of a semester, but I will yank your sister out of school in the middle of a semester while she's, you know, actively taking classes and everything because I'm concerned about her drinking. Like, why do you care more about one daughter's safety than the other? (laughs) Is it because you're used to Kath being miserable and crazy? I don't know. Rin doesn't agree with people being worried about her. She's angry with it. It doesn't feel like she really comes around in front of us. But then suddenly, after Rin goes back to school after what happened, she and Kath are BFFs again. Yeah, she she goes back to school. And I think the real reason is because she doesn't hang out with her old friends anymore. Because she's like, my friends suck. They dumped me at the ER drunk and left me alone to die. And so she's not hanging out with them anymore. And so now she's hanging out with Kath again because she's like, oh, you know, they weren't there for me and Kath was. But we don't actually see that. We see Kath and Ren fight with each other over the time while they're at home. And Kath basically telling Ren, like, you have a problem and I'm really angry with you because I tried to tell you you had a problem and you wouldn't listen to me. And Ren's saying, I don't have a problem. And then they go back to school and suddenly they're best friends and they're riding Simon Snow together and yay! And then that's it. They're just, they're friends again. And it's never mentioned again. Uh, The same thing goes with their father. His mental illness, it's never brought up again after the incident where he's hospitalized. He's hospitalized. He says he's going to get help. He does get help. We see incidences of that. Kath goes back home a little more often to check on him. He starts answering his phone when she calls, which Kath needed him to do to be able to believe that he was okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, we see the change. It was just weirdly wrapped up neatly and quickly. Yeah, it's so wrapped up so quickly and so neatly. Even the, the thing with Levi is wrapped up kind of quickly and neatly. Once she actually talks to Levi, any other relationship drama that occurs with Levi after she talks to Levi about the kiss, because she does spend several chapters like refusing to talk to him 
about the fact that she saw him kiss another girl, and so he just knows that she's mad at him, but not why. But once she does talk to him, they wrap that up so fast, and then they're just together. And any other drama between the two of them is wrapped up within not even a whole chapter, like a half chapter. Yeah, it seems like the book keeps inventing problems in their relationship just to spend more time on the page with Levi. Mm-hmm. And it is a drain on the story. <laughs> yeah, they'll just be sitting in Kath's dorm room, D-to-D-to-D, and Kath will say something like, you know, I'm not sure I'm gonna write my fiction assignment. And he'll be like, what do you mean you're not gonna write your fiction assignment? You're really good at school, and I'm really bad at it. How can you just throw away a grade? And she'll be like, how could you say that? That's so mean. And he's like, how could you be so stubborn? And she'd be like, you're right, I'm stubborn, I'm so sorry, please love me again. End of conflict. <laughs> it's so obnoxious. And then the Nick thing also gets wrapped up, just like a beautiful little quilt, because literally, like, we don't hear anything from Nick for a good quarter of the book after he steals her story. And then he just shows up outside her room one day. She's with Ren, Reagan is in the room, and then Levi shows up halfway through the scene, so all of her friends are there with her. And Nick is just there, and he's like, hey, I can't turn in my story. You know, Professor Piper can clearly tell that you wrote half of this, because you're better than me. <laughs> and she says that she can see your writing in this. So she's not going to let me publish it unless your name is on it, too. And Cal's like, well, I don't want to be associated with you, so that sounds like a you problem. Guess you're not getting published. And that's the end. It is a very short scene, and Kath does barely any of the talking. Most of the scene is taken up by Ren and Reagan, mm -hmm. just like talking to Nick, being like, Who is this guy? Is this the jerk from the library? Do you want me to beat him up? It also bothers me that somehow every scene Kath has in the second half with Reagan and Ren will involve talking about Levi. Mm hmm in one way or another. Oh yeah. Like, she and Reagan had a pretty good friendship starting, and now they're just talking about Levi rather than fleshing out Reagan's character development and their friendship more. Which is particularly weird when you consider that Levi is Reagan's ex, and when Kath and Levi start dating, Reagan makes a point of saying, like, there's gonna be ground rules, and some of those ground rules include I don't want to hear all the intimate gooky details of your relationship mm -hmm. because that's my ex and it's a little awkward. So the fact that then following that, Kath and Reagan still discuss Levi at length, it's, it's a little weird. It's like, I thought you guys said you weren't going to talk about this. I thought our brief periods with Reagan would be like our one respite from Levi. <laughs> But it's just all the Levi, all the time, all the freaking time. <laughs> and then it's just so bizarre when 98% through the book, Kath decides to work on her writing assignment. And then it's just done. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't decide for herself. She decides because Levi makes her. Mm -hmm. Because she has nine days until her assignment is due, but 12 days until Carry On Simon is due. And only... 14 days until Levi's gonna go home for the summer and Levi basically pouts and is like are you really going to spend the next 12 days writing carry on Simon and not paying attention to me and she's like yes <laughs> and he's like 
well, what about your fiction assignment? And she's like, I'm not writing that. I need to finish Carry On Simon. And that's when he's like, you need to finish your assignment because grades are important. Keep in mind, by the way, that Kath has a 4.0. It's mentioned that Kath has a 4.0 with the exception of this one incomplete grade. So if she doesn't do this assignment, the worst she's going to do is she's going to get a C in this class because it's worth about half her grade and she was barreling towards an A. So she's going to get a C in this class. And, or no, she's going to get an F. It was either a C or a D. She wasn't exactly sure. Yeah. But the point is she's, she's going to not do well in this class, but it's one class. She has a 4.0. One class is not going to kill her. I mean, I did terribly in astronomy my sophomore year, and I still graduated with honors. <laughs> like, one class is not the end of your life, especially your freshman year. And Levi's just like, how could you be so callous about your schoolwork, Cather? That's another thing. He calls her Cather, which is her full name. Nobody else calls her Cather. I hate it. <laughs> but we'll get to that later in my Levi lightning round. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this is a pretty good time to springboard off of this into the conversation about Kath's character development. <laughs> because I just don't know how we're supposed to be invested in Kath becoming an author when Kath isn't invested in becoming an author. <laughs> she decides at like 40% of the way through the book that becoming a real author is not for her. She has no future with it. She's just going to be a fanfiction author and work in a dead-end job and care for her father. <laughs> Yeah. And she doesn't diverge from that I don't want to be an author anymore mindset at any point. <laughs> and then when she just gives in and does her, her project at the 11th hour, it feels... Just, how are we supposed to root for that? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to care about a character that doesn't care about herself. It seems like every victory for Kath, whether it's the decision to go back to school in spite of her struggles, whether it's the decision to turn in her final paper even though it's hard, any decision that Kath makes is not actually Kath's decision. It is something that she ends up doing simply because someone else in her life is pressuring her and she eventually decides that it's easier to do what they want than fight them. <laughs> and that's not the kind of character you want to root for. You don't want to root for a character who doesn't care about their own success. I've had this trouble with other books and I've kind of dubbed this problem the unwilling protagonist. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you cannot have that because if a character isn't invested in their own story, why should the reader be? Yeah, and you can you can have the hero that doesn't want to be the hero but is going to do it anyways because they have their own motivations. You know, you see that in, you know, most classic one, freaking Harry Potter. Harry Potter didn't want to be a hero necessarily. Like, he didn't ask to be the chosen one. He's constantly griping, especially in the fifth book, <laughs> about, like, why am I the chosen one? I didn't ask for this. As I hate having visions and blah, blah, blah. I just want to be a normal boy. But he still does everything of his own accord. There is no one telling him, you have to do this. There are people telling him, like, hey, it'd sure be nice if you helped us out with this. But there's also a lot of people constantly telling him, hey, Harry, you don't need to get involved with this. You're a child. Stay home. Go to school. And he's like, Psh, rules? Instructions? <laughs> Not for Harry Potter. No, Harry Potter always rose to the occasion. He didn't have Ron and Hermione drag him by the heels to fight the Death Eaters. Exactly. Whereas Kath, 
Like, she has to be drug kicking and screaming to make any development in her own life, in her own character, at all. To do anything, she has to be forced by other people. And that is just freaking obnoxious. <laughs> like, it's painfully realistic for someone with a lot of anxiety, but I don't want to see her sitting at the whole book. Yeah, plus, that's not an effective way to help a person with anxiety. I think it sends <laughs> the wrong message. Because, as you mentioned earlier, you struggle with anxiety a lot. Mm -hmm. It would not be helpful for me to tell you, hey, babe, I know you're having a lot of anxiety about doing this podcast. So you know what? I'm just going to hit record and you're going to do it whether you like it or not. <laughs> That's not going to work. That's not going to work at all. <laughs> That's going to lead to you sitting in this chair with the microphone on going, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm right. I know, I know. And... It's, it'd be the same for me if you tried to get me to go do something I'm not comfortable with. Like, you love rides that make you feel like you're flying. Mm -hmm. I hate them. If you tried to make me go on, like, a zipline or something, and you just brought me to the edge and pushed me off, I'd hate you. <laughs> I'd be so mad at you for at least the next ten minutes. Mm -hmm. But apparently... According to Rainbow Rowell's world, that's what Kat needs. She needs someone to physically drag her to the edge and push her off of it. And then she'll be fine. <laughs> this is a this is a very good example of how Kath doesn't develop unless someone's forcing her to. In the beginning of the book, Kath does not know where the dining hall is on campus. And so she doesn't eat real food. For like the first several weeks, she lives off of these granola bars and peanut butter that she brought from home because she doesn't know where the dining hall is and she doesn't know how it works and she is too scared to ask or to go alone and try to figure it out. She has such a deep anxiety about this. She's so scared of everything. Like, what if I go to the dining hall and I don't know uh, where to pay and then people are staring at me? You know, do I do I bring my ID or do I bring cash? Which food am I supposed to take? Am I allowed to take more than one plate? Like, she doesn't know any of the rules and she's afraid to ask. And eventually she ends up finding out because Reagan asks her, like, do you have an eating disorder? Because all you do is eat these granola bars and peanut butter. And I'm like worried about you. And she finally explains to Reagan why she eats the way she does. And Reagan's like, you absolute idiot. I'm taking you to the dining hall. <laughs> And that is sort of the start of her and Reagan's friendship because she realizes that while Reagan is, you know, kind of too busy for her and maybe didn't want a roommate, she's still willing to show her basic things as long as they apply to, like, food and shelter and such. <laughs> but then we see a similar interaction later. In very the, close to the end. Very near the end of the book. Very, very near the end of the book. It's more than 98% of the way through the book because it's after she started writing her fiction essay. Mm -hmm. So in the last 2% of the book, she's in Levi's house that he shares with several other boys. She's been here several times over the last semester. She's met all of these boys. She's in Levi's room. He's going to go to work. He's like, hey, I'm going to go to work. Let me drive you back to your dorm. She's like, can I just stay here actually and write? And he's like, yeah, no problem. Stay here. 
so she stays and she writes and she starts to get hungry and she has to pee she goes to the bathroom and then she's like okay i'm hungry then she hears a roommate and she's like oh no there are people in this house and she flees back to levi's room and ends up like digging around in his room until she finds an old protein bar in one of his bags and just eats that because she's so scared of going to the kitchen and running into one of his roommates. And it's like, Kath, we're in the last 2% of the book. I thought we were past this. <laughs> I know, like, how do you miss, as a writer, a golden opportunity to show that your character has grown over the course of the book? Exactly, that was a perfect parallel. Especially because we know that Kath can cook. It's an established thing. We know that she's been in this kitchen before. She's quite comfortable in this kitchen. She makes Levi breakfast regularly. So we know that she's been in this kitchen. We know that these people are used to seeing her in this kitchen. At this point, she should feel relatively at home in this space. But because she doesn't have her security blanket that is Levi, she's going to go back to starving because she can't imagine being around a human being. This is the opposite of a development. Mm -hmm. You went full circle. Mm -hmm. And not in the good way. Since we went this direction with this book of Kath deciding that she doesn't want to be a writer and never really coming back around to that idea, I at least wanted to see her finish Carry On Simon. But that doesn't even happen. Yeah, she doesn't even finish Carry On to do like, like she could have changed her major to film writing or something. Even if she'd like decided to change her major, she toys at one point with the idea of changing her major to psychology. Even if she'd done that, and then like, I'm gonna be a psychologist now. Fine, whatever, pick a direction. But she never picks a direction. And I get the idea that, you know, she's young and college students are often finicky about what they want from life, but this is a coming of age story and she never makes a solid decision on what she wants for her future. Yeah, and like, it's okay to not know exactly what you want to do. God knows I changed my major so many times that I just, I racked up, I racked up minors, guys. <laughs> I racked up so many minors. That sounds wrong, actually, when I say it. <laughs> it wasn't weird until you made it weird. Sorry. But anyways, like, so I get it. I get wanting to do a little bit of everything while you're in college. But it doesn't feel like Kath wants to do a little bit of everything. It feels like she wants to do nothing. She doesn't even want to be in college. She just wants to write her story. And I respect that, except that she doesn't even do that in the end. So it's really hard to root for a character whose goals are so unclear and to be satisfied with an ending where the only goal she seems to have consistently had doesn't get reached. <laughs> and it doesn't get reached because of Levi, which is why we need to talk about Levi. We do. I think we need a lightning round of yes. Levi. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about how much we dislike Levi. This is the Levi's a loser lightning round. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll take turns one and the other. Reasons why we hate Levi. Reason number one, Levi calls Kath Cather, despite her repeatedly telling him that her name is Kath. She doesn't go by her birth name Cather, she goes by Kath. But he calls her Cather and even introduces her to other people as Cather. <laughs> Honestly, that's such a respect thing for me. It's so disrespectful to not listen to someone when they tell you the name they prefer to be called. 
especially because the book doesn't even dive into the reason why, but if you read closely enough, you realize that only her mother ever called her Catherine, so it's really upsetting for her to hear it. <laughs> and he never respects her wishes not to call her that. <laughs> Alright, trait number two. <laughs> Levi steals from Cather. That's how they first get to know each other. Levi believes that Kath has an eating disorder because she's living off of protein bars and peanut butter, and he decides that the best way to deal with a person who has an eating disorder is by stealing their food. Mm -hmm. So he starts eating her granola bars because he figures if she runs out, she'll have to eat something else. First of all, you owe her money for that. Yeah, he, he eats like a half, he eats like several boxes of her protein bars. Secondly, who does that? Stealing is wrong is like basic kindergarten level lessons. <laughs> mm -hmm. Next thing, he insists on walking her to and from the library whether she wants to or not. She, whenever she is meeting Nick to go to the library, he's like, I'm walking with you. And when you're done here, you will call me and I will walk you home. Because you look like Little Red Riding Hood and you're going to get raped if I don't. It's like, that's not chivalrous, sir. That's creepy. Please stop. I don't want you to walk me home. I mean, it's it's nice of him to offer, but there's a difference between offering and insisting. Mm -hmm. Offering is nice. Doing it if the offer is accepted is nice. But her saying, no, thank you. I would rather you did not. And yet he still shows up every single night to walk her. That's stalker behavior. Stop. <laughs> I think the biggest relationship red flag is he is constantly pushing her boundaries, and it's not okay. Mm -hmm. He does it with calling her Cather. He does it by insisting on walking her home. He does it all throughout relationships. She tries to set a boundary, and he says, no, I'm not going to listen to that. Because mm -hmm. he thinks he knows best. Mm -hmm. Because he has a white knight complex. <laughs> He does. Um, he also ignores the things she wants. When she comes to visit him at his job at Starbucks at one point, he he's like, oh, hey, you're here. And she's like, yes, it's, it's Starbucks. I'm here to order coffee. And he's like, great, order coffee. And she's like, yes, I would like a grande coffee. You know, just a regular coffee. And he's like, no, that's not what you want. And he makes her something else. Something with like a bunch of syrups and whipped cream and stuff in it. And it's like, Sir, she said she wanted a medium coffee. She did not tell you she wanted a ginger mint pepper whatever this is. She likes it, but that doesn't matter. What matters is she told you what she wanted. So give her what she wanted. <laughs> Levi also doesn't wash his hair, which is just gross. <laughs> yes, that is gross. He also then rubs his dirty hair on her pillow right after telling her that he doesn't wash his hair. Yes, he does do that. He does do that, and she's like, ew, that's gross, stop it, so he does it more. He constantly dismisses her worries, usually trying to put sort of an us-against-the-world mentality onto her. He'll push this idea of like, hey, you don't need to worry about whatever it is you're worried about because you have me. It's like, excuse me, sir, just because you're here doesn't mean that all of her problems are solved. We already mentioned this a little earlier, but he does kiss another girl two days after making out with Kath. Why does he do this? Because she wasn't returning his texts fast enough. Mm -hmm. So he just kissed another girl. 
Okay. And, I mean, they weren't dating. Like, I get it. He just, he kissed another girl. Like, kissing is kissing whatever. Some people don't consider kissing as big of a deal as others. But at the same time, like, it was very obvious that it was a big deal to Kath. Mm-hmm. And he just disregarded that completely. Mm-hmm. And when she confronts him about it, he ends up telling her that both of the kisses meant nothing to him. But then he goes back on that statement when he sees her again in two weeks. And it's like, I don't know why I said that. Maybe I was just nervous. Maybe I just say things. But really, it mattered with you, but not with this other girl. Mm-hmm. And she keeps bringing it up for a while, but eventually accepts it and moves on. Mm-hmm. Another thing. He calls her sister hot the first time he meets her. And he later goes back to say that the reason he called Ren hot whenever he met her was because he was trying to indirectly tell Kath that she was hot. This is in spite of the fact that Kath and Ren have expressed that they frequently get fetishized by people who think that twins are sexy and that it makes them really uncomfortable. So the fact that he used Ren to be like, oh wow, your sister's really hot, as sort of a way of being like, by which I mean, you're really hot because you two are identical, is creepy. Also, when Kath opens up to him about her fears of abandonment, he responds by asking if he still has a chance with her. Yes, way to make it all about you, Levi. He demands she read her fanfiction to him, despite her clearly not wanting to. She denies him several times, saying, no, I don't want to read my fanfiction to you, it's personal and I'm not interested. And he pushes and pushes until she gives in and reads it to him. He's like this with everything. He is so demanding. Mm-hmm. But he's smiling while he's demanding, so it's not like it's a red flag. Yeah, he's always, like, smiling about it. Like, you know, I'd like a medium coffee. Oh, no, you don't. Let me get this for you instead. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's still being forceful and pushy. Just because you have a big, dopey smile on you, it's like it's like that golden retriever that jumps up on you and scratches you up, up and you're shouting no down, but it looks all derpy and slobbery, so you're like, oh, I can't can't be mad at you. Yes, I can, Levi. Yes, I can. Mm-hmm. Levi starts pushing Kath for their relationship to progress after only three weeks officially together by insisting that she he introduce him to her father, even though he never introduces her to his family. Mm-hmm. He does plan on introducing her to his family in summer. So why do you have to meet my father now? <laughs> He takes her on the worst first date ever. The worst. (laughs) He takes her on the worst first date ever. His idea of the best first date is he wants to take her to the East Campus because she does most of her work on the West Campus of the school and he spends most of his time on the East Campus because he's an agriculture major. So he takes her to the East Campus. But the thing is, he takes her to the East Campus in the middle of winter at night. And the entire time they're walking around East Campus, he's remarking on all the things they could be doing that would be super awesome on East Campus if it was A, daytime, and B, not the dead of winter. So it's freezing cold, it's dark, there's no one around. This campus is dark and deserted. So they are walking around this dark, deserted campus in the dead of January, freezing cold, middle of the night, and he's like, Oh yeah, if it was daytime, I'd take you over there where we keep the cows and buy you some fresh ice cream. Oh yeah, if it was daytime, I'd take you over there where we have the museum. Oh yeah, if it was daytime, I'd take you over there. Oh yeah, if it was springtime, I'd take you over to this garden. We can still walk through it, but right now it's just a bunch of dead weeds. And it's like, there's nothing enjoyable about this. What is fun about going to a place 
that is dark, deserted, and cold, and walking around pointing out all the fun things you could be doing if it wasn't nighttime and it wasn't winter. (laughs) There's nothing fun about that. That's like going to Six Flags, but nobody's there to operate the rides. It's like, well, if people were here, we could ride that roller coaster. If people were here, I'd buy you a corn dog over there. Mm-hmm. It's just a walk right now. Mm-hmm. It's just a walk. It was truly awful. <laughs> also, Levi accuses Kath of being embarrassed of him because he thinks she's not spending enough time with him and Rin together. Mm-hmm. Even though we already saw that happen and it was implied that it's been happening multiple times, but how dare she want to hang out with her sister alone? Mm-hmm. And he's like, wow, you must be embarrassed of me because Alejandro makes more money than me because his family's rich. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and because he's a Rhodes Scholar or something. Not a Rhodes Scholar. He's some. He's some kind of fancy agriculture scholar and he's in a frat (laughs) and so he's like you must not want to like double date me and your sister and her boyfriend because her boyfriend's cooler than me even though they already showed them double dating (laughs) yeah even though it's already been established that like they do hang out it's just that kath doesn't necessarily like to hang out in big groups she prefers to hang out one-on-one so if she's gonna hang out with Ren she wants to hang out with just Ren if she's gonna hang out with Levi she wants to hang out with just Levi and it makes no sense and of course she has the right to spend time with her sister alone but then she's like no you're right I have been keeping away from Ren because I'm just so scared because she's prettier than me yeah which is when he admits that the only reason he said Ren was hot was because he was trying to tell Kath indirectly that she was hot but it's like because that's why Ren that's why Kath is nervous is because he said that Ren was hot and she's like oh no if you spend too much time with Ren you'll realize that she's the cool one and you'll want to be with her instead of me but like it feels like a gaslighting thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we never had Kath thinking that she needs to keep Ren away from Levi Mm -hmm. do you have any more because I only have one more um just that Levi is incredibly clingy (laughs) so which is why we have so much of him through the end of the book and and this isn't so much of a criticism of Levi necessarily, but more of a criticism of the um, setup of the second half. We end up getting tonal whiplash because immediately after Kath is telling Professor Piper that she's decided to write her final paper on the day her mother left, we immediately get thrown into a scene of Levi pressuring Kath to lose her virginity to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's like pressuring her in this non-pressury way where he's like, well, I'm not gonna make you have sex, but just so you know, I sure would like to. So if you would like to, like, we totally can. And it's weird that you don't let me touch you, and like, we don't have to have sex, but you should let me touch you more. Yeah, it's like, it sure would be nice if you showed more physical affection. Like, I'm not gonna make you do anything you don't want to, but also, like, if there was things you wanted to do, you really should tell me so that I can do those things, because I really, really want to do more things. (laughs) And then the last thing, and to me, the biggest thing... He doesn't respect that she needs to finish Carry On before May. He makes fun of that deadline. There is a distinct reason why she wants to finish this fanfiction when she wants to finish it, which is that the eighth book in this series, the final book in this series, is coming out in May. Her fanfiction takes place in the eighth year. It's basically the equivalent of if if she was writing a seventh year Harry Potter fanfiction before Deathly Hallows came out. Right now, on the internet, a lot of people consider her story to be 
the epitome of what the eighth book should be. If she doesn't finish it, the moment that that other book comes out, everything in her book starts getting compared to the source material. Anything she has in there that happens similarly to the in the eighth book, oh, you stole that from the eighth book. Anything that happens very differently from the eighth book is going to have people criticizing it. How could you, you know, this is so different from what Gemma T. Leslie wrote. This is ridiculous. Her fanfiction is going to be so much more harshly criticized once this eighth book is out. As it is right now, she has thousands of people around the world wanting to see her ending before Gemma T. Leslie's comes out. Gemma T. Leslie is the author of Simon Snow. I don't know if I mentioned that before. <laughs> like, there's so many people waiting to see this and counting on it. And she has been working on this for two years. She mentions that the book is already twice as long as any other book in the Simon So series. It is so, so important to her. And he's just like, it's stupid that you want to finish before Gemma T. Leslie. It's not like Gemma T. Leslie challenged you to a race or something. I just, it, that bothers me so much because even though it is a self-imposed deadline, it matters so much to her for so many reasons. And she tells him all those reasons and he dismisses all of them completely. To the point that she doesn't finish. Because he's sad that she's not spending enough time with him. Meh. She's had this one goal for two years. Two heckin' years. She is internet famous. And it's not even because her fanfiction's bad. This is a big deal for her. This is, at this moment, this is her magnum opus. It means so much to her to get to put her ending the way that she wants it without any influence from the book. Because that's another thing. She wants to write her ending the way it is without having read the book yet. And it matters to her. And he just completely dismisses it. And I just, I can't stand that. I absolutely cannot. Final nitpicks. <laughs> Big final nitpick. There's a question that is routinely brought up in this story, but is never answered. Which is, what actually makes a story? What makes a person the writer and the owner of a story? It's brought up through the lens of fan fiction when Professor Piper is like, Kath, you didn't write this story because it's fan fiction and therefore it's not yours. You stole its plagiarism. And Kath points out, she's like, well, yes, I borrowed the characters and I borrowed the world, but the story is still mine. And Professor Piper says a very specific thing, which is the world and the characters make the story. Which I think is a dumb assessment, personally, because the world and the characters make the story. Does that mean that every story written in present day New York is the same story? No. Because there's thousands. There are thousands of stories that take place in the same place at the same time. Every historical fiction would be plagiarism then. So that alone is a poor assessment. But then also it's brought up again when it comes to the collaboration that she and Nick wrote. Because it is a story that Nick had the initial idea of, but 
she made so many of the major decisions. She changes a lot of things in his story to make them better. And so for him to then claim that she didn't do anything with his story and it was always his because the idea was his, it's like, excuse me, she wasn't, are you saying like she was just a ghostwriter? Like he claimed she was just his editor. It's like, no, she wasn't just your editor. We clearly see her writing whole pages of this story for you. You know, it was your idea, but she still wrote it. So it really brings into the question this idea of who owns a story? Who writes a story? What makes a story your own? And we're never, we never really dive into that question though, and we're never really come to a conclusion either. Um, so that bugged me. Something that bugged me in particular was in Kath's second semester of college, we never once go to her classes with her. We don't even know what classes she's taking. And her second semester is half of the book. How do you do this in a college coming of age story? How do you just not address her second semester classes? (laughs) Yeah, we know that in the first semester, in addition to fiction writing, she also took biology, she took psych. Um, Those are the only two I can remember. What classes exactly was she taking? It's even addressed that she's nervous about registering for classes because she registers late mm-hmm. in spring semester, but we never find out if there's any consequences for that, if she ends up taking a class that she hates or anything like that. Just It's like she doesn't even go to school anymore. She just dates Levi. <laughs> she just dates Levi and hangs out in her dorm. Also, after the emotional climax in which Rin is hospitalized, there's still 20% left of the story and nothing happens until the 98th percent. That's like 18% of the story after the climax of which we just waste time with Levi. Mm-hmm. How do you pace a story like that? Yeah, there's just, that's, that's a huge chunk of the story where just nothing is happening because we've resolved the issues with Ren, we've resolved the issues with their mother, we've resolved the issues with their father, we've resolved the issues with Reagan. We've kind of resolved the issues with Professor Piper in the sense that Kath has decided she's not going to write this stupid Hevkin paper. We've resolved the issues with Levi because she's dating him now. The only thing left is Nick, and that gets wrapped up in the very next chapter. It just keeps going. We should be having the falling action after the climactic moment. But it's just more Levi. (laughs) It's just more dating Levi. It's more hanging out in Levi's dorm. It's more kissing Levi. It's more going on dates with Levi. It's just Levi, 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 Levi. (laughs) Next thing, there's several times when Rainbow Rowell will start us in a scene where we're just chilling in Kath's room and then she'll flash back to whatever actual drama happened rather than showing us something happening in the moment. So, like, something dramatic will happen, and it'll start with Kath is in her room staring at a Simon Snow poster or something and being like, this was so sad, I can't believe this happened. And then we'll flash back and she'll explain what happened and why she's upset. It just takes us out of it. Yeah, it's like, can't you just put us in the scene? Mm -hmm. Just do the scene. And then the big one. It is never addressed that Kath's skill for fanfiction is a useful skill. It is briefly addressed by Levi and that's it. Because here's the thing, Professor Piper argued, one of her arguments to Kath as to why she shouldn't waste her time on fanfiction is because there's no money in it. You can't make a career as a writer writing fanfiction. And Levi points out, 
that's a hecking lie. Because he points out adaptations are a thing. And there are times when adaptations become more relevant than the source material themselves. One thing that he brings up is Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. It's not the first adaptation of the Lord of the Rings. It might not even be the last, but it is certainly the definitive adaptation. And we all know Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, but we also associate Peter Jackson with Lord of the Rings. So Kath does have a skill When you think about our media, so much of our media is adaptation-based. So many huge TV shows and films are based on adaptations. And the ability to write an adaptation is a skill. Not to mention in all the money that there is right now in superhero adaptations. I mean, let's be honest, Stan Lee is dead. Yeah. So, is it plagiarism to keep his comics going with new writers? Rainbow Rowell writes Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. The Runaways, which is it, in itself is now an adaptation on Netflix, I think. It's it's a Netflix it's a adaptation on a streaming service. I think it's Netflix, don't quote me. Um <laughs> but the point is there is money and there is skill in adaptation, and so it's weird that it never gets addressed as a future for Kath. Yeah, it's really weird because when Levi brings it up, she's like, "Eh, whatever," and she just kind of brushes it off. But in reality, that is something Kath could do so well because she does have such a love for the source material and it shows in her fanfiction that we get to read. So if you took Kath and you put a book in front of her and said, we're making this into a movie or a TV series or a freaking podcast show, because I, I listen to podcast shows where they turn short stories and movies or short stories into like radio shows for podcasts and stuff. If they put a book in front of her and said, this is what we're doing, write a script for us, she could make something beautiful and so faithful and so honest and so true while also putting her own spin on it. And that is never addressed as a possibility for something that she could do, which is just unfair. It is doing a disservice to our sweet Kath. (laughs) Another thing, Kath spends so much time on Carrie on Simon. She constantly pumps out thousands of words a day from the very beginning of the school year to the end of the school year, not including the initial year that she put into it. And yet she doesn't finish on her self-imposed deadline. And you know what? I don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, I've read fanfictions that are very long. I've read fanfictions that are like 200, 300,000 words. But the idea that she has this fanfiction that she has been working on for two years, she routinely writes 4,000, 5,000 word chapters daily. And she has already written more than a novel's worth of this story and published it. At the beginning of the year, that's how much she's already written. And she's still writing thousand words of chapters every day. Like, she she takes a little bit of a break in the beginning to get acclimated to school, but by the second semester, she's writing a chapter a day again. And she still doesn't finish? How long is this fanfiction, girl? (laughs) Yeah, like, supposedly she's already plotted everything out, she's already- she knows what she needs to do, how? Like, this just feels kind of constructed and unrealistic for her character. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, she mentions that, you know, she's trying to, like, wrap everybody's storylines up, even, like, side characters and whatnot. But at the same time, it's like, girl, how long is this <laughs> book? 
Cap also claims that she can't write anything that isn't fanfiction after Professor Piper turns down her fanfiction writing assignment. But this also doesn't check out because she turned in so many writing assignments before this point that weren't fanfiction. We already saw her do it, so why is this a, a roadblock now? Instead of at the beginning of the semester. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's it's purely because Professor Piper hurt her confidence. Mm-hmm. It's because Professor Piper said, you can't write fanfiction anymore. So she is throwing a tantrum saying, well, if I can't write fanfiction, I won't write anything. Professor Piper's supposed to grow to be her mentor. Like, I know she's terrible at it, but... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nitpick. It it's sucks. not coming together. <laughs> it sucks. Just do what you did for all of your other assignments up until the final. <laughs> and then also, this is a coming-of-age story, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And like you said, despite being a coming-of-age story, Kath never gives a what about her own future. She's never thinking past May. Mm -hmm. And that's really weird for a coming-of-age story, because there are coming-of-age stories where characters aren't thinking super far into the future, but the whole point behind it is that by the end of your coming-of-age story, by the end of this experience that has turned you somehow from a child into an adult, you have changed and you now have a better idea, if not of your future, then at least of who you are. And I do not feel like Kath has a better idea of who she is or who she wants to be mm -hmm. by the end of this book. Absolutely. This other minor nitpick is something that I actually learned once I started going to communal writer groups. Mm -hmm. Um, writing critique groups, which I'd recommend for anyone who wants to become an author. Look into local writing groups in which you can exchange pieces with other writers and build on that wealth of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I learned is it's a common fanfiction cliche, crutch, trope, <laughs> trope, and crutch might be the right word, in which you overuse ly adverbs, and this was something I had to learn to break away from once I started focusing on my writing. Yeah. And it makes sense when you see the overuse of adverbs in Kath's story in her fanfiction, because this is where it would be. But when in the actual story, when Kath is living in the moment, and Rainbow Rowell describes them as driving over the snow crunchily. <laughs> crunchily. I remember that one. Or when you have back-to-back, -back, like, uh, tossed her hair over her shoulder lovely and gracefully. <laughs> Something like that. Like, you really can notice them. <laughs> And another thing, the pacing read very fanfiction-y to me, mm -hmm. in the sense that it felt like this wasn't written all as one book. It felt like it was written chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. Um, because I noticed that in a lot of fanfictions that I read, that there will be sometimes several chapters in a row that are just sort of characters talking to each other without really progressing the plot at all, just because the, the author doesn't know where they're going and they just want to get something on the page. And that's what most of the second act feels like. And she even brings this up in the book. Kath talks about how several of her most recent chapters have just been Simon and Baz, the two, you know, Draco Harry stand-ins, hanging out, talking, being gushy, whatever they're doing, hanging with their friends, not progressing the story at all. And while those are popular with her readers, she needs to stop writing those and actually do some plot stuff. And this comes in the middle of while 
we've been dealing with all of this so much, Levi. And I'm like, you're doing it, Rainbow. <laughs> you're doing it right now. <laughs> you are actively in this moment doing that thing where you just have a whole bunch of Levi scenes because I guess you think your teen girl readers are going to love it. But you need to get some plot stuff done now. <laughs> One final nitpick for me is that everyone in Kath's life downplays and disregards her relationship with Abel. Mm-hmm. Kath and Abel dated for three years, she met his family, they spent a lot of time together, and she clearly cares about him. But everyone in her life, mostly Rin, says he's not really your boyfriend, he's an end table. Yes, Rin refers to him as an end table. He's a useful piece of furniture that you just kind of keep there. Because, you know, it's dependable. <laughs> and, like, I took offense to that, because clearly Kath cares. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been hurt when he dumped her. She would have been relieved. <laughs> yeah. And, yes, their relationship was passionless, and I think that's the main criticism of it. But that doesn't mean that Enid was meaningless. <laughs> yeah, especially because they were in high school. And, you know, Kath wasn't ready for a physical relationship yet. She wasn't ready or interested in getting super intimate with a boy so having a boyfriend that was basically just a friend was fine for her and i don't think it's fair to undermine love that isn't sexual no that, that feels like a dig at asexual relationships <laughs> it really does i don't think there's anything wrong with kath having a relationship that wasn't sexual and to claim that her relationship with levi is somehow more real because they get sexual and she and abel didn't is just it is offensive it's offensive <laughs> because you do not need to be sexually active or even kissing to be in love yeah. Closing thoughts. So, closing thoughts, Fangirl sets up a compelling narrative. At the halfway mark, we witness the struggle of a young woman coping with so much drama, heartache, and self-esteem challenges that I think anyone who has ever been 18 can relate to. And then the book just gives up. Plot points aren't forgotten so much as they're wrapped up swiftly and easily with minimal input from Kath. Kath becomes an observer in her own story, never choosing her own path, but rather being ushered toward whatever choices or goals her friends and family think are right for her in the moment. This leaves the audience following a character who doesn't care about her own story, making it difficult for us, the readers, to care. The two halves of this book read like two separate novellas, and one of them is not good. <laughs> This was a very nostalgic story for me to read personally. I read it while I was in college, struggling with my own social anxiety and disappearing into writing fanfiction with Rome. Hi. <laughs> Rereading this brought back memories. The first half of this book had so much potential, and the saddest part of the second half was watching that potential go to waste in favor of a never-ending string of romantic scenes that serve little purpose. This is what happens when a writer becomes so enamored with what they want to write, in this case, romance, that they lose sight of what their story was originally about. If Levi's scenes could have been drastically cut down and properly spaced out, and Kath's scenes with her family and professor were more fleshed out, this book could have been great. Maybe someone can write that fanfiction and send me the link. Our final ratings. I am giving this book three out of five gay wizards. And I'm giving it four out of five farm boys. <laughs> As always, our ratings are subjective. Give us your notes at Twitter or at Couple of Notes. 
and to supply us with red pens, support us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash couple of notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet back here after the next chapter.